This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Statistics have shown that many church-going students, when they go to colleges and they are confronted by atheism and agnosticism and Darwinism and, and all the, the deism and all the other isms that Evie Hill said ought to be wasms. <laughs> they tend to fold and no longer believe. From my personal observation, there are four reasons for that. First, students who go to colleges and graduate schools even from Churches that do not equip them with the truth will certainly wobble under pressure. The second observation I have is that uh, students who enter college, most of them, not all of them, but most of them enter college under this misapprehension that just because the professor has a Ph.D. after his or her name, that he or she really know everything about everything. They don't. (laughs) I've got one of these from a prestigious secular university. And let me tell you, I spend untold hours with people who have multiple degrees like this. And I can tell you, I found that most often they know diddly squat about anything else except that very narrow field of their subject. The third observation is this, that most of these professors who attack Christianity and the Christian faith and the Bible and the Scripture, whether it be high school teachers or college professors, they mostly possess a marvelous reservoir of ignorance when it comes to the truth of the history of the Bible. They really do. They know enough to be dangerous and to bring doubt to the uninformed and the unequipped. The fourth observation that I have I want to share before I get to the message is that because the professors or teachers place of authority. They have an intimidating factor. After all, you know, they are the ones who can give you an A or an F. I mean, they are in a place of authority. I mean, they have authority over your academic future. Back in 1982, I taught a quarter as part of my requirement for my PhD in a graduate school that used to be a Christian institution. And it was a course on comparative religions. And so I taught it the way as I would have taught it, as you can imagine, and explaining the uniqueness of the Christian faith. And I had students who were coming to me. These are going to be ordained ministers in the mainline denomination. And they would come to me literally with moist eyes, and they would say to me, you know, we used to believe this. We really did. When we came here, we believed this. But the professor told us that this is all a fantasy. This is all not true, and it's all allegory and and the rest of it. And furthermore, if we don't write what he teaches, he's going to fail us. So much for the freedom of thought in the institution of higher learning. (laughs) I can tell you with confidence, firsthand experience, that most schools, secular schools of learning, and colleges and graduate schools, is where you find an absolute abundance of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, and bigotry. Trust me. And that is why today I want to give you a word of encouragement. I want to give you a word that lifts you up. I want to give you a word 
that you can have confidence in the Word of God, that you can trust the authenticity of the Bible, a word to help you develop a complete trust in the Bible as God's infallible Word. You see, God is the God of truth, all truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no falsehood whatsoever. And so if the Bible is the Word of God, not just as inspired writing as some teachers and preachers and professors would teach in these academic institutions, then you must trust it to be truthful in its entirety from beginning to end. You must trust its authenticity, that its ultimate author is the Holy Spirit of God, that God is the one who guided the writers of the Bible. Every word is authored by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. (laughs) Someone said that the Bible must really be the Word of God to withstand such poor preaching through the years. (laughs) I love that. I want to give you five indisputable evidences as to why you must trust the Bible as God's authentic, infallible Word. Five indisputable evidences that you can completely and totally trust the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. First of all, the greatest evidence of all is the testimony of Jesus Christ about the Bible. Secondly, the testimony of the Bible about itself. And thirdly, it is the testimony of prophecy and its truthfulness. And fourthly, the testimony of the historical preservation of the Bible. And fifth, the evidence of changed lives. I want to give you two today. The first two indisputable evidences that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. Number one, it is Jesus testifying to the truthfulness of the Bible. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, everything He taught, everything He lived, it tells us that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. I want you to think with me, okay? Because I want to tell you that the Christian faith can stand up to the rigor of any honest intellectual person. Okay? Amen. Think with me now. Jesus, who was God of very God, who coexisted with the Father in the Holy Trinity since before eternity began. He's the eyewitness of all of the events that took place in the Old Testament. He was there in the creation. It's through Him the Bible said all things were created. And so He was there from the very beginning. And so when He walked the streets of the earth, He affirmed that this is the Word of God. Now, I talk to non-believers. I talk to non-Christians. And you know, even non-Christians would agree about the blazing integrity of Jesus. They would say, well, I don't like all the religion, but I do, yes, believe Jesus had blazing integrity. Okay, if you believe that Jesus has a blazing integrity, whether you're a Christian or not, listen to me. (laughs) I want to show you the logic of this. Wouldn't he, at some point, somewhere, have said to the disciples, or to the crowd, or to anybody, Now, guys, I want you to listen to me. I was there from the very beginning. And you know that story of the flood and the story of Noah? 
That's just an allegory. You know the story of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights? That was just a whale of a story. He would have said, you know, this collapsing of the wall, the fortified wall of Jericho in seven days, that was just an, a, a figure of speech. <laughs> you know the story of the six-day creation? That was just a poetry. This is not really true. It is not six days. It was millions of years. As you hear, sometimes I hear people on, the, on television say, five billion years, only billion years. Here, they just, they, they're talking through their hat. When they repeat stuff, mimic, they don't even know what they're saying. You know how uh, created Adam and Eve were they were created uniquely different from creation? That I created Adam from the dust and Eve from Adam's rib. No, that's just not really true. It's not quite that way. Wouldn't you think the God of very God who became man, that his integrity would absolutely compel him to deny these things? And he would say, well, you're just right as wrote them as form of poetry speaking, but not really true. They're not literal. Wouldn't you expect that? But no. Even when he got into being tempted by Satan and a dispute with Satan, what did he do? He did not even try to debate with Satan. He didn't even discuss Satan's credentials. No. He kept on saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he kept quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Not as a poetry, but as God's own words. So much so that Satan even wanted to get on the action, and he too wanted to jump on the bandwagon, and he began to quote the Scripture. Hear me right on this one. Did you notice that during that time of temptation, that Satan never once disputed the authority of the Scripture? He never disputed it. He even quoted it. And the Bible said that Satan believes, and he trembles. There's a whole lot more than I can say for many church-going people today. They neither believe nor they tremble. I'm sure if Jesus was sitting here and he's answering your questions and not me, and somebody would come to him and say, Jesus, what about these contradictory things? And, the, the, you know, one account of the resurrection said there was one woman there, another account said a group of women there. What's this all about, all this contradiction? How many? Jesus would have smiled and said to you, you know, these were two different occasions, reported by two different people, and written down by two different writers. It's that simple. You see, Jesus not only read the Bible, he memorized the Bible, he lived the Bible. Jesus confirmed the authority of the Bible as the infallible Word of God. And He is the one who was there throughout history as the Holy Spirit was leading these men and women of writing the Word of God. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 5.18, He said, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will be by any means disappear from the law. In fact, Jesus taught that He is the fulfillment of the law. That he is the fulfillment of the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That everything was written about Him, He came to fulfill. In fact, Luke tells us that He began His ministry in Nazareth where He grew up. And the first thing He did, He went to the synagogue. He said, you guys are just into ritualistic stuff, and you guys in this. No, no, he went, to, he went to the synagogue, in the local one, in Nazareth. 
And Luke said he went out and he grabbed the scroll, the Scripture, the, the Old Testament, and he opened it up to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And he began to read from it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And on and on and on. And then he closed the Scripture. And he said, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That what Isaiah wrote 700 years ago has become reality today. And you're looking at him. I am the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. I am the one who fulfilled these prophecies. In fact, he went on to tell them that it was because the Gentiles believed under Elijah and Elisha They believed and they were healed and there were miracles. Even so, these Gentiles were healed, but the Jewish people didn't because of their hardness of their heart. And they got so mad at him. And those of you who traveled to Israel, you know that there is a big cliff. It's a sheer cliff outside of Nazareth. And that's where they took him and they want to throw him down. And people are still trying to do that to Jesus, even now. In John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when the Spirit of truth, referring to His Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide you in all truth. And right on schedule, the Holy Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost came, and He came, and He guided the apostles in the writing of the New Testament. To say that the Old Testament, not all of it you can accept, you can pick and you can choose, is you saying that Jesus lacking in integrity. That's that bottom line. Let me tell you something. I wandered in that wilderness for over five years, and I came to a simple conclusion. Either Jesus told the truth about the whole of the Bible or not at all. I'm a simple guy. The second evidence of the authenticity of the Bible, as it is God's own infallible Word, is the Bible itself. The nature and the uniqueness of the Bible itself is an indisputable evidence that it is God's own true Word. There is no book like it ever, anywhere. Other books were written by religious leaders contain a bunch of philosophical mumbo-jumbo. Others said that uh, books were given to them. There's nothing but a mishmash of a totally self-contradicting statements and orders. It says one thing and one thing and the opposite in the other. Yet the Bible states that it is God's own word thousands of times. Thus says the Lord is repeated at least 2,000 times. Thus says the Lord... In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul state in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. And every time Paul wanted to express an opinion, he said, I say, not the Lord. He was conscious of the fact that when he was writing, he was writing under the complete domination, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible contains the most sublime teaching and morals of any book ever. The accuracies in the Bible are so clear that no honest person, no truly honest person would dispute it. 
Some of our Muslim friends are running around and saying that, see, the Bible has been falsified. The Bible really had used to have prophecies about the coming of Muhammad. Just think about this. When Muhammad came into the scene, it was in the middle of the 600s. Okay, there'll be 600 years since Christ. By the time he came on the scene, there were a quarter of a million, 250,000 copies of the New Testament translated into more than seven languages scattered throughout the known world at the time. Just think of a person or a group of people or an army that would go around and gather all these books in order to change them. It defies human logic. And listen to these arguments because often they are totally illogical. Not only that, but the unity of the Bible is one of the greatest evidence that only the Holy Spirit of God, only He could have been the ultimate author of the book. Think about this and tell me if you know of another book like it or compared to it. The Bible had, as we saw earlier, 66 different books. These 66 different books were written in a span of 1,500 years. And these 66 books were written by 40 different writers, human writers, who ran that span of 1,500 years. And these writers varied in their background. There were doctors, there were shepherds, there were prophets, uh, there were kings, there were statesmen, there were lawyers, there were priests, there were tax collectors, there there were tent makers, there, there were fishermen. I mean, these people would have had as varied opinions and philosophies and worldviews as you'll ever find, let alone they spread across a span of 1,500 years. And yet, together, they produce a book of total unity. Unity in doctrine, unity in ethics, and unity in vision. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. It's mind-boggling that all of these 40 different people would write over the span of 1,500 years, and yet they write the same story, the story of God's divine redemption. Beginning in the beginning, and then Israel, focusing on, centering on Christ, and then culminating at the end of history. The unity of the Bible is not a superficial unity. It is a profound unity. The unity of the Bible is not a dead unity. It is a living unity. The unity of the Bible is not a conformity. It is an organic unity like the great big tree that the seeds were sown in the very beginning, and it began to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow into a huge tree until you come to the book of Revelation where the fruit has been ripened. There's only one logical explanation for the unity of the Bible, and that's this, that behind these 40 human writers, there is a perfect sovereign, divine God who guided their minds and their hands. But that's not all. Another piece of evidence that the Bible gives about itself as being authentic Word of God in its totality from beginning to end is uncommon accuracy. Think of the enormous task that Dr. Luke, the physician, 
the enormous undertaking that He has taken upon Himself in giving us the most accurate account of not only of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Luke, but in the history of the expansion of the church in the book of Acts. Remember, there were no computers back then. There were no reference books. There were no newspaper accounts. There were no written documents. And yet Luke so accurately charts history of the early church with names and places and titles and events. If you want to read more about this, I have a book. It's written by Professor F. F. Bruce, one of the great men I had the joy of meeting before he died. He was a professor at Manchester University in England. And the title of the book is this, The New Testament Document, Are They Reliable? But not only that, but all of modern archaeology is proving again and again the accuracy of the writers of the Bible because of the Holy Spirit's authorship. For example, the pool of Bethesda contained five porticos. It has been found approximately 70 feet below the current level of the city of Jerusalem. And guess what? It has five porticos. John said in 5.2 that it has five porticos absolutely meticulously kept. I don't base my faith, but the truth is, has evidence, and I'm not afraid of the evidence. Modern archaeologists dug up a plaque with the name of the proconsul of Corinth during the time of Paul, as mentioned in the book of Acts. Then there is the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were tablets that were found in Syria, date back 200 years before Abraham. Ask yourself the question, why else is the devil fighting hard to keep Christians from reading the Bible? Because he knows it has power, because its author has power, and the author is none other than his Holy Spirit. Why else do you think the devil uses foolish people to dispute the Bible? Why on earth do non-believers hate it so much? They burn it. They shred it. They forbid it from coming into their countries. It's an illegal document in many countries. Ah, because it is nothing short of the full truth of God. That's why they fear it. And so next time you hear someone says, when I don't believe all that Bible stuff, you just need to live by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ask him the question, where did you get that from? <laughs> just ask him. It's a lot of fun. Where did you get it? Where did you? Well, I heard it from somebody. Listen, often people make moral pronouncements, and they think they invented it, that man invented it. In other words, it's the word of God. And I'm going to tell you that if it wasn't for the Word of God, this world would be anarchy, chaos. And you see it. The Bible said that the time is coming when it's going to be a famine. And the famine is not going to be for food and drink, but for the Word of God. And it has begun. That famine has begun. And you and I need to stand firm on the authority, not of what Dr. Smelfunga said, but what God said in His Word. And with that, equipped with that truth, you can win the battle because the author of that book 
is in you, and he is in you is greater than he is in the world. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we still have it. I thank you that you kept it unmolested to this day. I thank you that you have protected it through the years. And Father, I pray that you would use it. Use it for your glory in the life of every one of our students, young and old, all alike, in all of our walk with you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.